Amen. Do you not love that woman or what? Man, what a woman. Uh, hey, go ahead and grab your notes, um, and uh, you'll need a pen or a pencil if you want to fill in the blanks that way. If you want to use the online version of the notes and um, fill in the blanks that way, that's great. It's probably a really easy way to organize keeping your notes if you use the online version. And if you learn best by just listening, that's always fine, uh, too. The reason we do it, you know, I've said it before, but the weakest ink is better than the strongest mine five years from now. It's just the truth of the matter. 24 hours, it won't make a difference. Maybe even 72 hours. But come a week, come two weeks, come a year, trust me, what you wrote will help jog your memory rather than trying to remember it. And the funny thing is, the way we remember things ends up not being quite accurate anyway. Is it true? It's just one of those things that gets kind of changed. And if you write it, you can see it. And it really is something that God can use in your life. And that's why we take the time to do it uh, to do it this way. Okay, our series is called Life Hacks. And a life hack simply is this. It's a shortcut, a skill, a method or a methodology that increases productivity, efficiency in all walks of life. Uh, one more time. A shortcut, a skill, a method, a methodology that increases productivity and efficiency in all walks of life. So if I could teach you, if we could spend just a few weeks talking about what these life hacks are according to the Word of God, and we could teach you how to be more efficient, more effective, uh, the best version of yourself that you can be, how many of you would love to be able to do that right there? Yes. About half of us. Wow, maybe there's part of the problem. Maybe that's like, I, you know what, I'm, I've hit it, I'm good enough, and this is it for me. Uh, that's just not the way you should think. Always, I said this a couple of weeks ago, um, you always want to be in a place where uh, in, in your brain, you are learning new things. Never get set, and especially as you get older, because one of the things that they're finding that older people in our uh, culture and in our generation are experiencing right now is that their, their brains are, be I, I use the word sticky, becoming sticky. They're not, they're not pliable and moldable and movable, and, and, and you want to be learning something all the time. You want to constantly be in a position where God can show you things and teach you things. And once you get to that place where you're not learning anymore, your brain tends to, uh, to not do what it was created to do. And that's one of the reasons this series can become important uh, for you. Uh, and by the way, um, before I forget, Pastor Jake uh, last week uh, taught, and man, did he do a fantastic job on the message. What a teaching gift Jake has. Uh, if there is... Um, Jake is... Uh, you, you know, uh, illustrations, uh, illustrations are always useful because they help us remember things, but some people can't pull them off well. Jake always has some interesting illustration that he can, he can pull off. And when he sends the notes out to everybody on the teaching team to look at, Jake's very cryptic. He'll write like three sentences, goldfish, uh, story about a woman, uh, and a good clothes. I'm like, okay, that sounds good, I think, Jake. Uh, and it always turns out to be just so good. So thank, I, I just really appreciate Jake's uh, ministry. Uh, Galatians 6-7 is what we're going to launch into tonight. Um, here's what this is. I'll give it to you real quickly so that you know. Um, when I was writing the message and thinking specifically about this life hack idea, um, I was thinking just in my own personal life, I, I, what do I know that when I do these things, my life 
feels, seems, just uh, finds its way to being submitted and surrendered to Jesus. And when I don't do these things, it's like I struggle in my spiritual life. And then I end up, when I struggle there, I, I struggle in other relationships and other areas. Have you ever noticed that when things are going well with the Lord, it seems like it just goes well this way. And when this gets messed up, it seems like it gets so hard this way. And so when I was just writing this, I was thinking, what things do I know that I know that when these things are in the right order, when you're, when you're doing these things, it just seems like your life is flowing in the right direction. So that's where this is. So I, the life hack simply is the shortcut or the, the skill or the methodology. So I want to teach you four things that when I say them, you, each one by themselves, you're going to say it's just not that big of a deal. But put these four things together and it creates your entire life, good or bad. And pretty much here's the truth, and I don't mean it ugly or mean, but the life you're living right now, if you don't like it, dude, it's not somebody else's fault. Let me go over here. The life you're living right now, if you don't like it, it's not somebody else's fault. And that doesn't mean that other people don't play a part in your life, but pretty much the sum of our life at, if, if you're past 15, okay, which I'm looking right now, and that's a lot of you, it's pretty much most people are not controlling what goes. It's the sum of your decisions, your attitudes, and your beliefs. It really is. And so if I could like life hack that and help you with skills and shortcuts and, and like methodology to make it better, that's what I would try to teach you right here. And I would just say this, like, um, I, I felt like the need to be humble and, and, and just open before you. Uh, it, I don't want to make it sound like, hey, I've mastered these and that's what makes me effective at teaching this right now. That's not what makes me effective at teaching this. What makes me effective at teaching this is that I am doing these things before the Lord and with his help, sometimes better than others. And that's why I can say on both sides of it that when it's right, it just seems like everything goes right. And when these things get messed up and one will affect the other one. So it's funny how they're kind of like built on each other. It, it just, it, it, it leads to a downward spiral. So uh, Galatians 6, 7, it's a pretty familiar uh, passage of scripture. When Chris tonight talked about giving, usually a pastor will use this uh, scripture when he's talking about giving. And it's sort of, yes, it can go in this direction, but in a, in a way it's a bit of a misappropriation uh, trying to get people to like see it from a particular point of view. Galatians 6, 7, uh, Paul writing to uh, a church says, don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. And that's, that should not be scary words. Like God is not sitting there with a gavel in a, in a judge's robe waiting to judge, uh, judge you. It simply just means this, that what the, 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 um, the, the universal laws that God has put into effect that work for believers and non-believers, you can't violate those universal laws and expect that you're going to have God's blessing in your life. That's what that means. Does that make sense? So, so what makes these really powerful for all humans is that you don't even have to be a believer in God and you could do any of these things and still be blessed because they're universal laws is what they are. So this, this is how it reads. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the, mock the 
the, the truth of what God has set in place. And then this is usually what they use uh, to help people, like a, a giving message. But you, you can apply it in so many different ways. You will always harvest what you, what does it say? So uh, most translations will say, uh, you reap what you, but it's the same thing. You will always harvest what you plant. What you put in the ground is going to come back to you. It is a universal law that God put into effect. For instance, you eat, even if you're not a believer, but if you sow mercy and you sow kindness, you get that back from people. And you could be a believer who loves God. Listen to this. But if you walk around with bitterness in your life, you're not going to reap the abundant life that Jesus promised you. So it's a universal thing that is at work here. And so this scripture, this idea that, look, what you're putting in the ground is going to come back to you. And that's why I said the sum of your life past a certain age, if you're an adult, the sum of your life past a certain age has been what you've been putting in the ground. I, should, I mean, I know that that can be painful. It can also be really exciting. I, I, don't you wish that it was much more exciting? Like when I said, like, yes! You know? Like, yes, you're right, pastor. But we always think on the negative side. Oh, man. Let's, let's be excited about it. So one more time. You can get back the things you're putting in the ground. Yes! Wouldn't that be? Yes! What, what? So believe it or not. The first life hack, life hack is your thoughts. And the way you think about things is a seed going into the ground. So, for instance, the very moment that I mentioned to you the idea, what you sow is what you reap, so many people think negative, don't they? Yes. And why, why is that? Because I bet you love God. I bet you pray. I bet you read. I bet, you, I bet you're doing things for God in the kingdom that you should have an expectation of a harvest coming back to you. But so often, we think of the three or four things that we're just like, oh, I got to get better at that. Oh, that, that thing. Like you go to pray, and instead of just like enjoying God's presence, you're like, God, hold on a minute. I got to deal with this thing. Forgive me, forgive me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What, it just ruins God's presence. What is that thing that messes with our thoughts like that and takes away our, our joy and, and just that, that ability to think correctly? Proverbs 23, 7 is just a really powerful scripture. Uh, it, it's, it's like, it, I mean, so to the point, as he thinks in his heart, say the three words with me, so is he. In other words, man, what you are thinking about constantly, what you're dwelling on, what you're focusing on, what you let your mind go to, that's what you're becoming. You cannot escape that universal principle that if you dwell on that negative thing and that I, if you're dwelling all the time on I messed up, I, I am so far away from God being able to use me and I've got so much junk in my life, stop. While it may be true, here's the good news. Jesus died for all your junk. So you're not some person trying to make it. You are the righteousness of God in Christ so that when the devil tells you this old man that you used to be, remind him of the new person you now are. That's who you are. And you can look at me and think, oh, come on, that's a big deal. Ah. It's everything, man. 
It is everything. Because when you allow your thoughts into that place of just always in the negative, in the negative, in the negative, you're putting a seed in the ground and you're expecting negative back. Paul to the parishioners at Philippi, when he talks about think on whatever is good and whatever is pure and whatever is right and whatever is holy, he's telling them, look, think on good things. Why is he telling them to think on good? Is is it like if you think of good things, good things will happen? Yes, in a way, but it's more than that. It's the regeneration of the mind. When you think about the things that God says, you begin to get the mind of Christ. And you want the mind of Christ. So that when you pray, man, you pray from God's point of view. When you're talking to other people and you're ministering to other people. We're looking at baptisms tonight. Oh, the most wonderful thing happens. Thank you for all of you who were baptized. I'm sitting right there and a buddy walks over to me and he said, you were obedient all those years ago and all this happened because you came here. Now that's, I know that's not, you know, but man, that made me feel good compared to, well, pastor, I mean, you know, it was nine people, probably could have been 40 if you'd have really surrendered. We always just go to that negative type thing to think on these things. How about this? Why the need for directed thoughts? Why does Paul have to tell them whatever is pure and whatever is good and whatever is just and whatever is right, think on these things? Why the need for directed thought? Listen, I'm going to tell you why. Because just because you get born again does not mean that your brain gets born again. So, can, can you be born again and have a mind that still is in between what God says it's supposed to be and what you've come out of? You, dude, that's the, that's the battle of the flesh. It's the battle that every believer faces right there. Now, Romans tells us that your mind can be renewed. You can have that metamorphosis. It can take place. But it has to be ever and ongoing. You don't have like this epiphany where, oh, now I think different and I'll never think this. Your, your brain in the wrong set of circumstances with the wrong things going on in the wrong day with the wrong pressure will revert back to its old way. So you've got to reinforce that new thing that God is doing inside of you where your mind is becoming the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Romans 12 two, you can have a renewed mind. But it happens, man, as you think on directed thoughts. So why then do the thoughts need to be positive? Why does he tell them whatsoever things are pure and good and upright? Why 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 do they need to be directed? And then why does the direction need to be Good. Why does it need to be positive? Why does it need to be things that are, that are upright? See, I just think very few people, very few of us are born with just that super like, you know. Th- see, this isn't even about being a pessimist or an optimist. This is about having the mind of Christ. And the Bible says that the carnal mind is actually at war with God. It can't think God's thoughts 
It, does, it doesn't even know how to think God's. It's not as though it's, it's arguing with God's thoughts. It doesn't think God's thoughts, so it's not even aware of those thoughts. So why you've got to think directed thoughts and thoughts that are upright and good is because God is upright and good. And you are of God. Beloved, you are a man. You are beloved. You are that person. So your mind can't just go any way that you want it to go. And it is possible to be born again. Your passport is stamped heaven, but your brain is stuck down here. I mean, not, not down here on earth, but like down here in the gutter. That everyone and everything is out to get you. That everything that's ever happened to you is you're a victim. A person with that victim mentality, how hard it is to help someone break. That's where God's got to come through and give them that renewed mind. Because when a person's deceived, you cannot out-argue a person who's deceived. Because they're deceived in their intellect. So no matter how hard you argue with them, they only are entrenched more. So your thoughts, if I was going to life hack anything and give you a shortcut to a life that's blessed, man, your thoughts, you cannot let your mind go any way it wants to go. That's why you can't let into your mind anything you want to let into it. You've got to be careful on that. Not only what you hear, the Bible actually says, be careful what you hear because what you hear then influences what you dwell on, and what you dwell on then influences what you speak. Here's the second one, your words. I meant to read this to you. Um, it's sort of the thing that like, uh, got me thinking about this. And I'm not sure if it's in your notes or not, but let me, let me read it to you. Um, you might have heard it. Listen to this real quickly. Plan a thought and reap a word. Plan a word and reap an action. Plant an action and reap a habit. Plant a habit, reap a character. Plant a character and reap a destiny. Like you may have heard that before. Years ago, uh, you remember the name Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll? used to preach on the radio. He was out of California. He retired years and years ago. I think he still does some stuff here and there. He's at um, Dallas uh, Baptist uh, Seminary. Uh, he's a great teacher. Wrote a lot of books. I had a lot of books in my library uh, back when you actually had books. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean by that. Actual books. Um, and I thought he was the one who said that so I was going to give him credit for it. So I looked it up just to see if he was the actual author of it. And then the funniest thing happened. It's one of those things that through space and time, about 15 different people are claiming to be the author of that particular. Um, I think that even Gandhi, they're, they're attributing it to Gandhi. I'm pretty sure Gandhi didn't say that right there, but I, I don't know. So here's what I thought. I'm going to be the 16th person who claims. <laughs> How do we know? Could be me. If the first time you heard it was me saying it just now, it was me. <laughs> it works. How do we know? Uh, I, I just don't know who said it, but it's, um, one more time. Let me, read, let me read the two things. 
So Paul says, don't be misled. You can't mock God. You cannot change a universal law that God has put into effect. You will always harvest what you plant. And then if you just take that idea, you'll always harvest what you plant. If you just take that idea right there and you just put it into a sentence, plant a thought, reap a word. Plant a word and reap an action. Plant an action and reap a habit. Plant a habit, reap a character. Plant a character, reap a destiny. So you can't just let anything into your thoughts because Jesus himself said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth. So Todd is right, and the answer is speaks. So we're going to do it one more time. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth, it speaks. So what does that mean, by the way? Like just anything that you say was what was in your heart. So if you get up in the middle of the night in the dark, stub your toe and what comes out of your mouth, that was in your heart? No. No. That's not what that means. The sum of your conversation as a whole is what's going on in your heart. Have you ever met someone who continues to talk about the same thing that happened to them forever and ever and ever? And time goes by, and life goes on, but they're stuck when that thing happened to them. Now, I'm not mocking that. I'm not being fun about that. Sometimes it's something that was done to them when they were a kid, and that's where that idea of, I'm a victim. If this hadn't happened to me, my life would have been different. See, the problem with that thinking is we can't go back in time. We can't change what happened to you. All we can do is go forward with God saying that who is ever in Christ becomes a new creation. The old is gone and the new has now come. And all of this is from God. That's what it actually says. Not from the Apostle Paul, not from Pastor John, not from someone who's sitting next to you who wants good things from you. All of the idea that the old is gone and the new has come, that you're a new creation, all of this is from God, the Bible says. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. The old is gone and the new has come. So the idea that like, if this thing hadn't happened to me, then, then I wouldn't have gone in this direction, to a certain degree, for sure it's true. For sure it's true. But then explain this. Why is it that you can have two people that have the same thing happen to them and one is stuck and one gets free? Why? Because if what happens to you makes you a winner or a loser, then we're all stuck with that universal law. But it's not, that's not a universal law. Here's a universal law. You are an old person who becomes a new person in Jesus. Everything becomes new. You write a new history. You write a new destiny. You got a new last name. You got a new DNA. You got a new pedigree. So thoughts become words because Jesus himself said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. What, what does that mean? What you're thinking about. The heart, is, it, the heart is the mind, the emotions, and the will. Listen to me real quickly. 
the mind, the emotions, and the will. What you let your mind, emotion, and will dwell on becomes the thing you begin to talk about. So if you want to know where someone is really at, it's not in when you first meet someone and they give you polite conversation and they're on their best manners. That fools everybody. And it's designed to fool everybody. What are you really? It's after you let your guard down and what you begin to talk about that lets us know what's, and it's, can I just say to you that you're made up of multiple things going on inside of your heart at any one. You don't talk about one thing. But your outlook on life and the direction that you're going, that's the abundance that's coming from your heart and it's coming from what you have planted in your thoughts. The cliche <laughs> from the guy that had the heart attack a few years ago. I had to carry around this little bottle of nitroglycerin for the longest time. Tiny little, just minuscule pills. Anybody in this room that's had one knows exactly what I'm talking about. They're just the smallest little pill, but that little pill, man, is very effective. It can get blood flowing in a second, so that if you have any symptom, you throw it under your tongue, and it, it's amazing how it works. It's amazing how it works. So nitroglycerin has two properties. Enough of it when it's compacted, can blow anything up. And a small amount can heal a heart. Words, listen to me, have the same power in them. Words in the wrong proportion can blow up things. And words in the right proportion can heal a mind, can heal a heart, can heal a friendship, can heal a marriage. Words have that, that life and death. You, so you know why, too? You're created, stamped, made in the image of God. And God, whenever he did anything in Scripture, go back and read the book of Genesis, and God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be man. And God said, let there be nature. You are stamped, you're stamped, created, minted in the image of God. Therefore, something in you is like him. And when you speak, You've got power in the words that you speak. And when we forget that, we can say the most God-awful things to the most God-created people. Words are just so powerful. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue can bring death or what? It can bring both. The second part of that verse, by the way, says this. Those who love to talk... <laughs> reap the consequences. And so we always just think, there it is again. It, it uses this as a, you're planting a seed, doesn't it? You'll reap the consequences. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Consequences, always, they're not always bad, but we always, we always think bad, don't we? If you're planting good conversations, good words, good activity, you can expect to reap that back in your life. So this is really important. Don't know if you would ever even think about this. Don't know if you ever think, why am I drawn to that church? Maybe there's a lot of reasons. Maybe you love to worship. Maybe you like things like just the, the way we do baptisms. We're not fancy. We don't have a, a, a pretty baptismal. We don't have robes. Uh, there's no organ where people come down doo, 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 and lead a processional down. We have a horse trough. <laughs> and that is actually a step up because we used to do hot tubs on wheels. 
and you think I'm kidding, we would put it right, we'd rent it so that the water was hot, put it right out in the front and baptize. Anybody wanted to be baptized, hot tubs on wheels. That's how Jubilee did it right there. And when we built a building, we got fancy and got a horse trough. <laughs> Step up. <laughs> I forgot what I was saying about it. It was something good. Uh, but when you're putting in those words, man, it, it, we're always thinking I'm going to reap something negative. But thinking just... If you love to plant good words, you can expect to reap a right harvest. If you weren't here a couple of weeks ago when I taught on marriage, it's not a marriage, you know, message. But I just use marriage as one of those things. Let me give you a life hack. And the reason that you want to learn to be good in marriage is because if you're married, marriage is one of those things that when it's good, it's so good. And when it's bad, it's so bad. So you want, you want your life to be good, so you want to have a good marriage. So it was trying to give shortcuts and hints and ideas on how to do this. And one of the things that I said that Chris and I are doing right now is I read that story about that poor guy that got that stage four liver cancer and he was going to do himself away with a gun. And his daughter was just like, you can't do that, dad. But she could not reach him. He was just so hurt and so angry and so mad at God. And, I, and it's not that he wanted to hurt his family, but I think in a way he was so hurt. Here's what I just have learned through the years. Hurt people hurt people. You ever learn that? Hurt people hurt people. He was hurt and he was going to hurt the people around him. So he's going to take a gun and kill himself so that he didn't have to suffer through the cancer. And one of his daughters just said, I know this is horrible and I know it's just, I can't imagine a worse fate. Dad, I'm so sorry. But dad, please, you cannot, you can't leave, you, that cannot be your legacy. So she, for 100 days in a row, she wrote him every day, 100 reasons, uh, uh, one reason for 100 days why she loved him. And at the end of the 100 days, it, it just broke his heart and he decided, hey, I can't do it that way. Now, it didn't change what he had a disease, and the disease took his life. But what it did between he and his daughters was so powerful. And the legacy that he left behind was that his love for them and their love for him, that's the memory, not someone who did away. Do you get what I'm saying? The difference between the two, life and death, ultimately. Life and death. And the whole idea just on, you know, what do you do with, I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself, I, could I send my wife for a hundred days in a row a reason that I love her? And I'm one of those people who like, I could do it. And then I'm, you know, like four days in like, um, I love you. Roses are red, violets are blue. I love you. So I got a piece of paper and I just started writing down and then I realized I could send 200 reasons. So I just started, I just once a day, I just write, we're right in the middle of it right now, just write her, here's what I love about you. Why? Because I'm sowing words into her heart. Chris and I are not in crisis, but I never want to be in a crisis with my wife. I have this awesome marriage, 36 years, that I've given everything to. She's the gift that God's given me. She, look, I cannot take care of this bride unless I can take care of that bride. Doesn't that make sense? How do I take care of Jesus' bride if I can't do the simple thing he told me to do with my bride, right? Doesn't that make sense? So, so, this, like, so I start doing it, and then she's like, hey, could I do it with you? So now we just split it up every other day. 
And we're, yeah, and we do the funnest things. And some of them are just like really, they're deep and just between us, I would never share them. Some of them are just, you know, they're fun. They're fun little things, little habits that we each have that instead of like, you know, uh, cursing each other for them, we tell each other, I like that about you. What do you think that does? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> what do you think it does? So if you, here's, you go home and you think to yourself, I got this lousy marriage. If I could just find the right person, ah, ah. And then I talked about, so you'll just say, but yeah, but you're lucky. Oh, what an insult to me to tell me I'm lucky. I am a hardworking pastor. I am not a lucky person. I am anything. If I was lucky, I'd be 6'2". And about 180 pounds. <laughs> but instead I'm 5'7 and 180 pounds. <laughs> Man, the power of blessing. Jesus himself, think about this for just a minute. Jesus said these powerful words, bless those who Okay, I know you know, so we're going to do it one more time. Bless those who, who curse you. Do you think he was just... Do, do you think that that is... Is that poetic language? Or do you think he's actually trying to give us a secret to the release of the curse of words that can... When we, you were a kid, that old thing, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never... Oh my, what a lie, right? God, the, the words that are said to us can be so hurtful. I can remember things that were said to me in third grade. How, how can that be possible? It's like a fist that punched you. You know what's really funny? When you buy into those words, those are the words, that's what I'm talking about. Those are the words that they'll, def they'll become a label that you'll begin to call yourself that label. Yeah. Then your life will go in that direction. Yeah. I'm not good at relationships. I'm not good at marriage. I'm not good with money. I'm not good with this God thing. I, I, I just, I, I, I can't overcome that thing. You're planting and planting and planting and planting. And then it's become so difficult because then once a person begins to reap, then the cry is, stop the reaping. Oh, now that's hard. That's hard. And the cure for that is to plant, plant, plant so that once you get through that, you've got good coming. Am I making any sense right now? Are you, are you, you following? So, that, so words, man, the power of blessing. When Jesus says, bless those who curse you, I'm just going to say this real quickly. It was not poetic language. He was not waxing eloquent in a message. He's actually giving a formula for the release of the words that can be so hurtful to you. The words that hurt you. 
The way that you get those things out of your life and away from you, you don't demand justice. You don't try to live your life trying to get an apology or trying to get them to do something different. Let them go and bless them. Bless them so that you can get those words out of your life because if you can forgive it, you won't have... Whatever you're thinking about is what you can't let go of. Want to know what you can't let go of? What are you constantly talking about? Here's the third one. Actions. Just a life hack. These four things. I just know these four things have been so powerful in my life. Have given me a distant, a, a different uh, a destiny than the one that I would have had. Actions. Jesus said this. Love this. This is another little clue, a hint, uh, like this, this wonderful thing. That's, it's in the Bible. Nobody ever teaches about this. Um, so Jesus says these really powerful words. Um, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Every word that you speak, you're going to give an account for before God. So the whole thing is on the words that you're speaking. And then Jesus just like, uh, like, like he just stops what he's doing, goes into a trance, and then says these crazy words right here. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. So he's totally teaching, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He just said those words. And every word that you speak, you're going to be judged by God. So be careful with the words that you speak. And then he just gives us a little, make a tree good and the fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and the fruit will be What in the world is he trying to say to us? And here's what he's saying. Your actions are determining the fruit that you're getting from the tree. What, what tree do you want to get fruit from in your life? If your marriage is a tree you want to get fruit from, your actions matter in your marriage. If your finances is a place you want to get fruit from, your actions matter with your finances. If your church is a place you want to get fruit from, your actions matter in your church. When you hear us say things like, look, pray, worship, give, go, support, cheer, cheer, cheer. No, you didn't. Yeah, you see how slow you are? You see? Three times. Three times. You think we're just up here talking. What, what actions have consequences? Actions that Jesus is saying, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. If you come to your church and you're like, you know what, man? It's just never exciting around here. <laughs> you. You. If this is you, this is not exciting. This is exciting. Yay! Be excited. What you make of what happened. You're like, Pastor, get up there and do it. For what more can I do? You've got to admit I'm not up here being boring. I, I may be a lot of things, but I am not boring. When I first got in the ministry, this black church invited me to come speak to them. And here was the subject they gave me. It should be a sin to bore people. That was the subject they gave to me, right? Now, I think I get pretty excited, but I went to this church. These people were excited. And they, dude, they had church, like we had gone three hours and I hadn't even preached yet. I'm like, is it over? Did I miss? 
Am I going to do anything? Or They were just getting warmed up. So that when I got up there, man, they were just like, there is something about when people are so engaged, it pulls something out of the one who's up here speaking. If you're just like, I'm not getting enough treasure from you. I want more depth from you. Give me something. Give me something. Come after me. Pull it from me. Demand it from me. Yell back at me. Show me. Sometimes I feel like I'm just up here. Man, I go home. What happens when I go home? It's not good, is it, sometimes? I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. I am the craziest idiot that ever idioted up in front of people. And pick myself apart and pull it. I, The tree is, it's whatever in your life that you don't like the fruit. Jesus is giving a principle. If you don't like the fruit that you're getting from that thing that's supposed to be giving you fruit, and fruit can be good fruit or bad fruit. If you don't like the fruit, make the tree good and the fruit will be good. Make the tree bad and the fruit will be bad. Who's responsible to make good or bad fruit? And just... Just so that you know the whole context he's talking about is what we're, what's coming out of our mouth, which is what we're dwelling on and what we're letting in our heads. Here, here's the last one if you want it. The heart. So thoughts, words, actions, heart. And if you want to take the first three and pull it all together into this, want to kind of like do it all at once, let me give you the key. Your heart, that thing inside of you, that the essence of who you are, your mind, your emotions, your will, that the, the, the ethos of who you are, the person that when you come into a room, you bring that spirit with you, and when you go, that spirit leaves with you, and that can be good or bad, can't it? That, that heart, that thing that makes you who you are, Proverbs 4.23, man, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. And that's why I say the sum of your life right now is largely being dictated from the decisions that you're making, the attitudes that you have, the words that you're speaking, what you dwell on in your mind, but where it's really coming from, the heart. It's the heart, man. It's why the Bible talks so much about the heart, why Jesus says it's, the, it's, it's not the outward thing that God is interested. It's, not, it's when the heart gets defiled that the person becomes defiled. So religious people worry about what this looks like and is this clean and does this look, but the inside, Jesus said, those people, man, they're, they're like tombs full of dead bones. They're dead people who are trying to lead dead people. They won't come into the kingdom and they won't let other people come into the kingdom. They tell them act this way and talk this way and dress this way and drink this and don't drink that and go here and don't go there and look the part, but it doesn't matter what goes on the inside. And Jesus said, I don't give a rip about the outside. It's what goes on in your heart that matters. 
Because if you get the heart right, then whatever this needs to be outside, it'll be fine. The way you look, the way you dress, what you drink, what you wear, what you drive, who cares? Who cares? God, we try to make people conform. You can't talk that way and you can't, you can't go see that thing. And if you do that, you'll be okay. You think that'll get you to heaven? Good golly. When I first got born again, man, was in this little Pentecostal church where they made the women wear their hair up to here. You think I'm kidding. They couldn't wear makeup. They had to wear their hair up to here. They could only wear dresses. The biggest argument we ever got in, this split the church, was whether or not girls could go swimming wearing a t-shirt. Oh my God, no, you cannot do that. Because girls will cause boys to sin if they're wearing a t-shirt over a bathing suit. <laughs> and some of you were like, dang right. <laughs> and you missed the point, fella. You missed the point, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, does modesty matter? Yes. But that wasn't the issue. It wasn't whether or not they loved Jesus. It wasn't whether or not there's revival going on in the youth group. It wasn't whether or not people are getting saved and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and lives are being changed. It was whether or not their t-shirt was long enough at the knees. Ah! And whatever happened to those beehive hairdos anyway? They all went to hell, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> you know, King David got to the root of the issue with these words. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Get a clean heart and everything else will come together. Get the right heart, man, the right heart. Look, anything else is just, it's semantics. It's, it's, it's whether we like that or we don't like that or it's, it's choice, preference, smell, touch, taste, whatever. But the heart is always the issue. It's the issue. It's the issue. It's the, this is the life hack. It's the heart. It's the heart. And we spend so much time in religion telling people do this and don't do that and act this way and don't do that and join this class. Oh. It's so tiresome. It's why Jesus is telling a bunch of tired people trying to keep the law. If you're tired and you're burdened and you're frustrated, please come to me and let's do the exchange. Give me that outward thing that you're trying to conform to and let me give you this new heart that is so easy to live and so fun to live and so joyful to have. You'll be so glad you did it. And I wonder how many people just walked right on by thinking... Oh, it just can't be that easy. It just can't be that easy, man. It just, it, just, it just can't be that easy. Father, I love you and I bless you. And God, you know, you, you used the word surrender to us. Uh, tonight, people get baptized and some of them used these words. I'm just, I want to surrender. It's time. I just, I believe that he's Lord and I want to give my life. Folks, the surrender of the heart, the surrender of the heart, the surrender of the heart.
How's your heart? Is it soft? Is it pliable? Is it full of joy? What's going on in your heart? The enemy can be so skillful at setting circumstances all around our heart in order to get us to take the bait so that it gets into our hearts and then our heart gets weighed down, doesn't it? Remember when Jesus taught about the seed and he said that the seed goes out and it falls in so many places and it it falls into a heart and it, it just, it springs up and it just brings such joy. But uh, the noonday sun and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, what he's trying to say is all the stuff of the world that we have to deal with gets in there. You know, you got this perfect heart that God gives you. And then the devil, he just, he's looking constantly. What worry can I bring into this heart? What hurt can I bring into this heart? What scenario can I bring into this heart? And you know, it's not that you're not trying to guard your heart, but sometimes we just, we didn't even realize that what we let in was going to be poisonous. We just didn't realize that that care was going to be so costly. We didn't realize that that lie was going to, going to take our heart in a direction that we, we never intended to go. Man, if you find yourself just weighed down, I know how circumstances are. I get nuance. I'm up here, and so many times when I preach, it's so cathartic for my heart. It's so cathartic for my heart. I'm such a, like, just so open before God. And then the worry about how it came across, and the worry about what you think about me, and the worry about whether or not you'll come back. And it gets in there, and I don't guard it. You know what that trap is? I'm performing for the wrong audience. I'm worried about what you think and not what he thinks. Anybody else in here like that? You perform for the wrong audience. Man, here's the good news. Our Jesus doesn't leave us in that place. Our Father is here. King David was so, so, so right on. Create in me a clean heart. God, come and purge my heart. God, come the things that weigh me down. God, the things that have become the cares of this life. The things that I feel like I'm failing at. Listen to me real quickly. I'm, I'm telling you right now, under the, the, the presence of the Holy Ghost right now, that you are... You think you failed and that thing is controlling you. You, you, it, 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 
That's not who you are, man. It's just what happened. God is not ashamed of you. He's not embarrassed by you. Oh, he lovingly and passionately and rationally knows who you are and comes after you and says to you, come to me if you are weary and your heart is burdened and it's gone in just every direction that Every direction but up. And let's do the great exchange. Give me your burdens. And let me give you my life. And I don't want to just give you nice sounding words right now. Here's what I want for you. I want for you to walk out of the doors this afternoon with a different heart. I want you to leave Whatever the devil's been doing in your life, and I don't care if it's been going on for years, I want you to do business with God right now. If you have to get mad at the enemy to do it, then do it. If you just have to decide no more, then just say no more. But just decide on the great exchange right now. God, you can have all of the stuff that's weighing my heart down. Maybe you did fail. So what? All things become new. Daily, his tender mercies are new. Daily. Come to him right now. Give him your whole heart. Quit wrestling with this thing anymore. Don't let the enemy talk you out of what I'm saying. The Bible says clearly the devil comes immediately to steal this seed. Do not let him have this seed right now. Get a heart that's pure. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right or steadfast spirit in me. Maybe you can do it with your spouse. Maybe with your family, maybe by yourself. But before you walk out those doors, give it to God. And don't forget to take from him the great exchange, his burden, his life, his call, his joy. His joy for your sadness. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Say it with me. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. One more time. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Like you got to take off that spirit. He's got to take it off. Put on right now. God, thank you. God, I bless you. God, you can have it all.
God, I don't need an answer. Just take it. God, I want a heart that's free. I want a heart that's full of joy and full of life. I want a heart that's abundant. The great exchange. God, you can have it. Nail it to the cross of Christ. Take it out of the way. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. (laughs) What a deal he gives us. Beauty for ashes. Amen. Amen. Hmm.